And we are live again. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Wellness Wednesday Inspiration. My name is Fernanda. I'm here with Dr. Linda. And we have an episode that we actually tried to do about a month ago. And for some personal reasons on both ends, we ended up not having an episode for the first time since we started the podcast. But we wanted to make sure that we brought back the topic because it is a topic that is quite important. And of course, it has to do with belly fat, which is something that many, many people struggle with, as well as exercise. What kind of exercise may be helping or may not be helping in the quest for getting that body that we all want? And of course, stress and how is stress affecting also our appearance, our health and our bodies. So super excited about that today. We have tons and tons of things that we're going to cover. So please get ready. Take a lot of notes. It's going to be an information-packed podcast. And as of course, our goal is always to bring value to you and give you tools and techniques to help improve your life. Dr. Linda, how are you? I'm great. How are you? We're just coming off of a Mother's Day weekend. <laughs> yes. How are you? It was great. We were here at home and uh, spent time with the family, the kids, and got in the pool for a little bit. It's that uh, time of the year now here in Arizona where we can jump in the pool without freezing. So we're enjoying that. And um, yeah, it, it was a great weekend. How was yeah. yours? It was good. It was great as well. I spent some time in California, but I, I always like coming back to home. To me, Arizona now is home. California had been my home for years. You know, being I grew up and was raised there, and you know, left and would come back, left and come back. And I, I now say I, you couldn't pay me enough. There's <laughs> no offense to ever living there, but I, I do enjoy our little, um, our, I would say our little um, oasis here in in the desert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but definitely excited about the topic. We get. So many questions. I know you've gotten a lot of questions in your practice as well with, you know, with belly fat, how do you get rid of it? And, and it's just not an aesthetics thing. It's not just about, oh, I want to have a six pack. I want to look, I want to look great. Actually, belly fat's pretty dangerous and people don't realize that. And if they would just kind of equate that, the belly fat with inflammation, belly fat is probably, it, it is the most dangerous fat that a person can have on their body. So yes, so much to unpack here and um, and hopefully we'll be able to hit a lot of points. I'm sure we're not going to be able to talk about everything. However, um, I think we should just get started on this. I agree. Uh, definitely. So let's start with one of the things that we have on the on the notes is resistant training. And for a lot of people, I feel like they look at different types of training and they don't understand what helps for what, what doesn't help for what, how we can be helping them, how we can be actually not benefiting them in their goals. So what do you what do you say about resistance training and actually any other training when it concerns like overweight or mm-hmm. uh, obesity, but more so that fat that we hold uh, right around our waist? Yeah. Well, the number one thing I always, I kind of like to emphasize with people is not to always focus on weight loss, but more on fat loss, because there's a huge difference. Weight loss, you can lose five pounds, you know, and you can ask any kid that's 
um, trying to get, uh, has to lose five pounds for a wrestling match, right? It's like just for weigh-in or boxers and any type of um, elite competitors and that. It's like, okay, well, you can lose that. You can lose three pounds of water weight. But this is more about when we're talking about belly fat. I mean, that's what you want to lose is fat. Exercise is for the purpose of actually reducing body composition, changing your body composition, reducing fat. That's going to be the goal. The most effective way to do this in all the years that I've been um, in practice, started re with resistance training when I was a teenager and having a lot of friends in the industry that focus on building muscle resistance training is more effective long-term and even short-term for overall health benefits and even to get rid of that belly fat and for um, just overall health. Resistance training in the form of weight training. And it's not the time of weight training. You just go in there and, oh, I'm gonna do 20 reps of this particular exercise. I'm gonna do 20 reps of crunches. I'm gonna get on the machine, add the weight on there. And I'm going to work my abs and all I'm going to do is work on my abs with weights and the machines. That is not the most effective way. Neither is the, the cardio. When people go and they'll spend an hour in the gym, whether it's on, I love the step mill, so I do intervals on that board, but even like on the bicycle and you spend an hour on that, that's not effective for um, actually fat loss, especially in that midsection. So when we talk about resistance training, we're talking about the using, um, using weights, number one, and actually going on um, challenging yourself. So compound exercise, like, um, you know, people do squats, people do lunges, they do chest press, anything that it, that will, um, you're utilizing more than just one muscle, um, shoulder presses, um, lat pull down, these are all things that you can do in the in the gym, even at home, even if you're using um if you're just starting out, just weights and, and squats, those are ways to start. So the resistance training is anything that, you know, requires weight that's going to push you a little bit. And a good way to start with that is you don't want to go high reps. You want to start maybe with, like, if you do the first set 15 repetitions, put the second set at maybe 12 repetitions, and the third set should be more like 10 or less. And then as you get stronger, you start with 12 repetitions, the first set, the second set, 10 repetitions, the last set, more like six to eight repetition, and you're actually increasing the weight. That is one of the most effective because you're building overall muscle and muscle is what burns fat. So that's what resistance training does. And then, of course, you have those, re those I don't know, have you seen those big resistant bands that a lot of the athletes are using now? Mm -hmm, I have. Okay. Okay. And, and there, some are just really intense and they, they can get pretty pricey as well, but resistance bands that you can use at home. And some of these run almost like even a hundred dollars. So we're not talking about the ones that the girls use to, you know, get a, a, a bigger butt, <laughs> which you see a lot of girls using that to do squats and lunges, but we're talking these huge resistance bands that a lot of, um, a lot of um, the men and women in the fitness field that, that are actually competing are using. So resistance training is very, very, very effective for overall fat loss. And especially if you want to get rid of some of that, that, that belly fat that we say is really um, is dangerous and it's inflammatory as well. So if you have someone who's listening today, wanting to get started on resistance training, 
Mm -hmm. and um, they don't know how, how to go about it. What would be the, what, like maybe two different approaches that they can go about it? I think they should hire a trainer and most gyms now have a trainer. You can do in group training. I I like the one-on-one because then you want to make sure that your form is great. And then you, you present there with a, with an outcome. What is it that you want? It's just like, I want to learn how to use weights because I want to increase my muscle mass. Because when I increase my muscle mass, automatically my fat mass is going to start going down. So we're not focusing on weight loss or fat loss. As soon as we start gaining muscle, your body's meta, your metabolic rate starts to go up. So you, you start burning more fat efficiently. So number one, I would say hire a trainer. They're really not that expensive. Um, a lot of the gyms now, you know, um, have trainers. You can do even a small group with three people. Learn the technique. I think that's really important. Um, uh, that would be the number way, number one way. Of course, you can also Google it, you know, go on YouTube. There's a lot of great videos and maybe just focus on four specific exercises and Google it and make sure that you get the form down. But also go with someone to the gym to make sure that you're using proper form because there's so many people that get injured. And I see this in a lot of like the CrossFit, the group training, because they don't have the proper technique down. They're maybe looking in the mirror, trying to look and say, oh, look how good I look. And they injure themselves. So I think it, it would be worth the investment, even if they invested for a week, two weeks, three weeks, or ideally maybe a month just to get the basics down. That's great advice. And what you said is super important because I think a lot of people, they said, well, I'm just going to go to the gym and I'm just going to work out. And by me working out, I will expect a result. However, there is a way to work out and there is a way to efficiently work out for results, right? And so it's kind of like, just like anything else that you do, right? You can you can know how to eat and eat properly and eat the right foods and that are going to sustain you in a healthy way. Or you can simply just eat all day long all kinds of foods that are not going to benefit you. So you can really spend a lot of hours in the gym, but if you're not doing it the right way, then it really it may equate to not doing anything at all. Mm-hmm. And it can Absolutely. result in It can what? result in an injury as well. Oh, absolutely. And then that'll set you back even more. <laughs> then you start, you start eating because you're depressed because you can't work out. And, and it's just like, it's that vicious cycle. Definitely. Right. right. Yes. And, and you know, one of the other things too, I think that is important for us to, um, to mention is, you know, as you were talking about, you know, you have to eat the right foods as well. What's often overlooked is, you know, we're, we're, it's been embedded in us about the, the calorie concept of consume this many calories. And then we have so many people that also go on these very low calorie, you know, diets and liquid diets that are oftenly prescribed by doctors, you know, which makes it worse because they should know better that they do end up losing weight, but they also end up losing a lot of muscle with that and fat, but they do lose a lot of muscle, but long-term it's not beneficial because they um, end up with metabolic damage. So weight training actually helps improve your metabolism by increasing your basal metabolic rate. And actually eating protein 
will also help increase with muscle repair and for you to sustain muscle mass. Not only that, you need protein for virtually every function um, in your body. You know, you, you don't need carbohydrates, you do need fat and you do need protein. So uh, kind of a, an easy guideline that I work with patients and, and just generally when someone asks me about, well, how much protein should I be eating? Um, I don't know if you're familiar, and I know I had mentioned this in one of the other podcasts, Dr. Lane, and there's a lot of research where everything's like it's, it's protein, protein centric. And even Dr. Lyons, she talks about her practice being protein centric, meaning that they really um, focus on the amount of protein that their patients are eating because that has the biggest impact on people's overall health, but ability to burn fat. So the guideline is really like about 100 grams um, per day. Okay, and then based on the 100 grams per day, you can split it up in three different meals and always, always have protein first thing in the morning. And if you're a, a female or male that you're trying to lose weight, then or fat, I should say, then have some protein, you know, after your your workout as well. So the RDA's guidelines right now are very minimal. And when we're talking about recommended dairy um, allowance, you know, what they recommend, it's just for survival. It's not enough for optimal health. And you and I are after optimal health because we want to perform at the best um, capacity that we can. And it's about optimizing human performance. So with protein, um, the recommended daily allowance, I mean, is very minimal. It's like 0.8 grams per, kil per kilogram. That's not enough. If you go up higher, um, like I said, if you use the 100 grams as your guideline, and if you, know, if you want to increase more um, your body um, mass, then you want to increase that. But then that's when you want to work with specifically someone that can guide you like, okay, how much do I want to, how much should I really be eating of protein? And we can get into the into that a little bit later about the, um, you know, about that. But also what's important is gut health. And, you, and I know that you're fascinated with that because how gut health has, it started, um, it even impacted your moods and your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And we've talked about it in different shows, in different programs over and over, actually, because it's that much important. And I, that was actually a new concept for me, to be honest with you, Dr. Linda, and that, that I have been actually learning as we continue to do the podcast. It was really not uh, taught to me when I was in school, which is surprising because that makes me think, well, how many people are graduating without understanding the concept and the strong relationship between gut and brain, right? But the one of the things that makes gut health so important is because actually in our gut 90 percent of serotonin is produced and so serotonin is in serotonin is one of those feel-good hormones and so a lot of people used to believe and actually medical providers used to believe that if you have something like ibs irritable bowel syndrome or some other um conditions from the gut then it gave you depression and it gave you anxiety but in reality you know, having having those conditions are actually affecting the way that you think. So it's it there is a complete and direct correlation. And one of the things that I think about is think about a, a time when you were so anxious that you immediately like had the runs. That's and it happens almost immediately. And that's how strong that connection is between the brain and the gut. 
And so how when we have changes in our gut that happens from poor um, food and, and eating habits, then we also affect how we respond to stress. The gut can get inf inflamed and we can actually develop all kinds of different bacteria and fungi and, and bad, quote unquote, bad uh, bugs in our, in our abdomen, in our gut. And so that actually has a direct impact on how we are actually not just digesting our food, but how we're thinking. And, and it's kind of like this cycle, right? How we digest our food, how are we thinking, and how are we really fitting our, our bodies? And so microbes have been actually been studied lately more than before, I believe. And there's a direct correlation between behavior, pain perception, mood, and so many other things. So we, it's very important for us to keep the gut bacteria intact or healthy. And the way to do that, it's one of the ways it's actually prebiotics, probiotics. How are we eating? What type of food are we eating? And antibiotics is one of those big, big issues that I think affects so many people. We are in the antibiotic like era, right? Where we prescribe antibiotics and we take antibiotics for everything. And so when we're taking antibiotics, we're actually killing all of the good bacteria. We have good bacteria, we have bad bacteria. And the antibiotic doesn't have a way to, to say, well, this is good and this is bad, so I'm not gonna kill you, right? It just swipes mm -hmm. everything out. And so when we are constantly invading and, and interfering with the good, good bacteria that keeps us protected, that keeps our digestive system in check, then we are affecting our, not, not just our gut, but our brain as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's one thing he said, the emergence of, of gut health and, you know, the microbiome and how it being the second um, brain and, and so forth. It, it is. It's, it's an emerging science and we're seeing more and more um, research and the data on there. And, it, and it's just fascinating. I mean, fascinating. I just you have to you have to address that no matter no matter if you're trying to lose weight, you're trying to have a six pack, you, and just as you mentioned, for um, if you want to be happier, <laughs> you know, happy gut, happy, you know, happy life. There's just there's a huge connection with that. So mm -hmm. I'm glad that that you mentioned that, and also, um, you know, the type of exercises we mentioned, and you know, do you what do you do as far as exercise? Do you incorporate cardio in your um, in your exercise regimen, um, weight training, what do you do? And because some mm -hmm. of that does impact, you know, belly fat as well. Of course, of course. So I've actually never really exercised in a sense for weight loss. I've never really had the need, thankfully, to really lose any weight. So my exercise is mostly about me feeling good and staying active every single day. So I hike, I do, I bike ride. I do like just like squats and burpees and uh, I do a lot of just things around the house. I don't go to the gym. I do a lot of things around the house just to stay active and I swim a lot as well. So my exercise for me, it's not really about having a target of weight loss, but more about knowing that when I exercise, I feel better. When I exercise, I feel even more energized than when I when I when I don't right when I skip a day or when I skip a week then I feel like I start getting sluggish I start getting tired 
And when I exercise, especially exercising in the morning, when I exercise in the morning, it gets me kind of just alert, awake and going for the rest of the day. And one of the things also that have been found with exercising in the morning versus in the afternoon is that when you exercise in the morning, your appetite gets a little bit diminished during the rest of the day. So that's an important point if you are in an attempt to lose weight, mm-hmm. right? Because you, a lot of times when you're exercising, if you're eating as much as you were eating before, especially if you're not eating the right type of foods, then of course, you're not probably going to be losing as much weight as you want. So it's it's a balance. And exercising in the morning also helps improve mood. So you feel good about yourself. You feel good because you exercise. You got that out of the way and you did something for you. And it also helps with mental clarity. So being active has a lot of benefits, especially if it's done early morning. A lot of times when you leave it for the afternoon, it's like, then trying to make the time. And if you don't make the time, then how is that going to make you feel? And it's making you and your body and your health a priority as well. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and that brings to point to um, there's different outcomes that people want to have. And when it comes to exercise in the morning, some of the studies have shown and just over the years of being in practice and working with different trainers and have been in the fitness field for so long, most people that are focused on fat loss actually benefit and you will often find them in the gym in the morning. Those that are in the afternoon are the ones that are focusing more on muscle mass and growth, so more of your competitors. So you'll, you'll see a difference. And like you said, in the morning, when you're, when you exercise in a fasted state, you actually, your fat burn, your body's fat burning um, um, capacity is prolonged. That's the beauty about working out first thing in the morning in a fasted state as well. But I think everybody should have like some sort of goal or even have a scale to measure your fat mass and your body mass. Therefore, you know, because you can do the same exercise for two years and your fat mass actually goes up and your body mass goes down and then you're, you're, you just look differently. Your body composition changes. So it's really important, I think, to, to add that in there um, because you're to have to get rid of that belly fat, your fat mass has to go down, but your body mass definitely has to go up. So, you know, and then there's um, the challenge also with like, we talked about, um, you know, cardio, people think that cardio and just focusing on doing abs all, you know, in the gym, that that's all. And that's, and I've seen this, because I'll see people that they'll be on the, the machine for like an hour, and then they just go work their abs, and maybe they do a little leg lifts or you know, whatever to work on their butt, but that really doesn't do anything. Actually, um, over time, you're stressing the body out and your cortisol is increasing. And what happens also with the cortisol, um, you have, um, it's actually, you're more stressed. So your body holds on to the fat in the visceral area. And if you remember, we talked about this in podcasts, you remember the three survival centers where they are? Yes, of course. Survival energy centers, right? It's that they're right here, right below from, you know, below the breast 
and down, you have your three energy centers. So those are all survival centers. And cortisol is made for the purpose of what? For survival and to, to, um, to buffer stress. So if you're it, it, with the long term of exercise for an hour of going in the gym and just pushing and pushing and pushing, you're getting that cortisol response. So it's almost counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, it's really important that you're mindful of, of what you're doing. And that's why you get that belly fat deposited in there as well. And women have more of a challenge too, because we have, um, we have more estrogen receptor sites in this area, in the lower abdominal area. So when a woman goes through that change of life as well, where is most of her fat deposited? Her, her, she has a thicker waist and mm-hmm. they tell, and then there, it's that belly fat. But you know, some of the things that we're talking about today, those are actually some strategies that they could start implementing to actually see that change. And yes, it does become a little bit more challenging. So you have to be more creative on how to create a, um, a workout regimen that works for you and how do you change your lifestyle to, um, you know, because you want this end result. So I think that's really important. And a lot of women don't, um, don't realize that, that, okay, in your butt and in your midsection, and even in the chest, that's where you have a lot of your estrogen receptor sites. And then of course, with xenoestrogens that we find in plastics that we find in our cleaning products that, you know, when you go to the office, when you go to, um, what is it, body, body works, or what's that place where everything smells, and it's like, oh, my gosh, it's it's overkill in there. Well, those are all xenoestrogens. And, you know, we're even seeing that with a lot of the kids. And of course, most of our food that we eat, there's a lot of xenoestrogens as well. So, you know, it, it is a combination of, of things. Mm-hmm. And it's important to mention, and you kind of touched on this at the beginning of the show, that it's not just about how you look. The correlation between belly fat and your overall health has been literally studied over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And there is a correlation between belly fat and cardiovascular health. So when you have that fat all around the the belly, then it makes you more prone to having heart disease. So it's not just, okay, I I don't necessarily like how I look or I want to do it just to look better, but also Mm -hmm. it it really affects your overall health. So it's, it's beyond the appearance, right? It's beyond just the physical way that you look, but it, but it goes, it, it correlates with any other system basically in your body. Yeah, and you're so, right. It's beyond vanity. It's just not about, it's not bad, but like you said, it's about your overall health. How do you want to feel? And of course, when you're fit, don't you feel more confident in putting on a pair of shorts or in your swimsuit? You just, you feel more confident. You know, I don't, very rarely, I don't know if I've ever run into a person, maybe one or two, that they're like, well, I just don't care. <laughs> I don't know. Deep down inside, I'm like, I think you do care a little bit, you know, because like I said, we talked about, it's just not about the way you look, but it's how you feel and for longevity purposes as well. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I also found and I learned is that when we go to the gym and we're only focusing on cardio, thinking that cardio is going to make us lose all this weight, yeah, the, the one of the major things that I actually didn't even know about is that it suppresses T3. So it really inhibits, in a sense, the thyroid hormone. 
And so when we are literally inhibiting the function of the thyroid hormone, and we've talked about this in previous shows as well, we are affecting every single area of our body. The thyroid hormone really regulates and controls almost every single thing, if not every single part of our bodies. And of course, by having an impact on negative impact on the thyroid hormone, then it makes us more susceptible to actually gaining weight, gain, not, not weight, gaining fat. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are thinking, well, I'm going to the gym and I'm doing all this exercise and I'm doing all this cardio and, and I should be losing weight. Why am I not losing weight? And so think about it for a second. Are you focusing primarily on cardio? And if you are, then that may be the reason. Also, like you were mentioning before, a lot of people go in and work out for an hour or two. That also hasn't been proved to be any more beneficial than doing cardio for 15, 20 minutes and then doing some other type of exercise. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's so short. You actually have more benefit from those short bursts of exercise. And if you ever, if you look at the body of a sprinter and a long distance run runner, it's like leaps and bounds, they're very different. And you can have a sprinter that will go and train and for maybe an hour and do intervals where he's running 100 yard dashes, takes a rest. Okay, another 100 yard dash, takes a rest. Sometimes the rests are even five minutes. Mm -hmm. They get more benefit from that compared to the person that's out on a, a six mile run in that hour, whereas that person that was doing the, the short burst they didn't even do, they didn't maybe even run an, a mile, but they actually are getting more cardiovascular benefits, more strength benefits. I mean, overall, there are even, even more brain health benefits than the person that's out running for an hour. So yeah, it's really interesting that a lot of people are not, um, not aware of that. Right. And um, because of the, the stress and how it does impact the body. And also, as you mentioned, um, how it, when you're under stress of that continuous stress and you're producing that cortisol, it does interfere with that, with the thyroid hormone, which of the conversion of the, the treat, the T4 to the T3. So, you know, it, it's crucial. And when, when that happens, and of course, yes, your basal metabolic rate is going to go down as well. So, you know, we have to be mindful of all that, which kind of uh, brings me to the point of, um, you know, we talk about this a lot about, you know, stress management and, um, and, you know, how do you handle that? And, and it's about always going back to being mindful and what, you know, how you're thinking and so forth, because I kind of like to use the essence when patients tell me I don't have time. Well, you know, it's kind of like, it's a kind of equated to like with cortisol, it's like you have your, you're driving uphill, but you're driving as fast as you can uphill with your brake and your, your foot on the brake and the gas pedal. And then things get worse and you're like, I'm not losing weight. I'm not getting there fast enough. It's now like putting on even the emergency brake. So it makes things worse. So, you know, one of the other strategies is you have to learn to manage stress. Mm -hmm. And I know you've got a lot of awesome ones, especially most of the time. Where does it start? Right here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is crucial because a lot of people don't realize that we have control over our reactions. It's all about how you react to anything that is happening around you. 
So there is a there is a thing that things are not good or bad. It's your interpretation of them, right? And so if you're interpreting things in a negative way, what it's doing simply, it's sending a stress reaction to your body. Every time you think in a negative way, every time you feel a, a certain way that it's in a negative end of the scale, emotion-wise, it's sending that signal to your cells. And so I, I actually picture myself, like the DNA of my cells, like, like, getting, like shrinking when I'm under stress and like relaxing when I'm happy and when I'm upbeat and when I'm like calm and when I'm um, excited about things, right? And, and your body does that too. When you're angry, when you're upset, when you're, um, you know, anxious about something, your body kind of contracts. Look at your posture. But when you're excited, mm -hmm. when you're happy, when you're a big, you're like full of energy, full of life. So your cells react in the same way. And so what kind of stress are we talking about? And we're not talking about taking a, a test and I'm so stressed out about the test or, you know, having to meet with the boss or anything like that. But it's the minor stress that we don't necessarily think about as stress. It's like getting caught off on the expressway and reacting or, you know, having a one of your kids spill the milk and reacting or like the simple things. Right. Having to make a line at the grocery store and then the, the cashier is not moving fast enough for you. So you're like reacting. You're like, oh, my God, what's going on? I have to get home. Right. Or like running five minutes late to that meeting and you're like rushing. Oh, my God. You know, everything happens how it's supposed to happen. And when we let go, like really stressing is not going to make the person who just cut you off not do it again, right? But your reaction to it is what matters. You can say, okay, not a big deal. They're in a hurry. I can just slow down a little bit or change lanes. Or, you know, the cashier is having a tough day. I'm just going to be patient. and I, Or I can go and look for another, you know, cashier or whatever to pay. But how are you reacting to those little things? The flight is Do you have any control? So controlling or, or if you cannot control something, then there is really no reason for it, to, for you to be stressing out and sending those stress signals to your body. And when we're constantly doing this and we can all kind of do like a mental memory game of how many things are you stressing about every single day and throughout the day, when does it start? When does it end? And what you will find surprisingly most likely is that you're stressing out over little things that are really not important in the grand scheme of things. And so every time that you're stressed, you're sending those signals to your body, cortisol is going up. And so what we ended up, what we end up finding out is that cortisol remains high in a high state in your body. And when cortisol is high, then inflammation starts. And when inflammation starts, thyroid gets affected, glucose gets affected, um, your gut gets affected, the way that you digest your food is affected, the way that you think is affected, barely, really, it affects every single part. So how are we controlling stress? What kind of things are we doing? Are we taking time for ourselves every single day to rewind, to stop, to, to relax? Or are we just go, 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 and worrying about things that really in the grand scheme of things are not necessarily important? Yeah. And as you mentioned, you know, with cortisol too, it, it's a catabolic, it has, um, it's catabolic, meaning it breaks down muscle over long term. Over short term, it can be good, but over long term, it does have catabolic impact instead of an anabolic, meaning it's breaking down muscle, but you, you, it, it can have an anabolic effect where you're actually building muscle, but over long term, it doesn't. So really the bottom line is, 
as you were saying with the stress is it's not it's really identifying and, and it's all behavioral it's identifying your behaviors all how and, and how you're responding to something and to become aware of them and to make a conscious decision on how to change them and look at the pros and cons of okay well if i continue to do this there's a reason you're continuing to do it what is it what are you benefiting from continuously distressed from something does it make you feel empowered why are you, why do you think it makes you feel empowered so then you start digging down and going down rabbit hole and thinking like well it makes me feel empowered because i always felt less than and blah 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 and then you really start digging into the oh that's the core of the problem so when when all this is said and done what we're talking about what does it come back to <laughs> In here, which we emphasize so much. I feel like we talk about it at every podcast, but it's true. It's just like nothing has meaning until you give it meaning and you, you learn to become aware of your thoughts. And if there's something in your life that you don't like, then start to alter the behaviors that lead to those thoughts or the thoughts that lead to the behaviors or vice versa. So that's mm -hmm. my takeaway. <laughs> Oh, very, very true. And I think you said it in the perfect, perfect way. So just to finalize on the podcast, I feel like we should finalize with a quote. What do you think, Dr. Lina? Oh, my goodness. Shoot. Um, hmm, I'm trying to think. Um, well, just like, you know, I was, I, I'm constantly listening to uh, the two podcasts, but I think more of a concept is more about to really look at your life where you are right now. If you don't like what it's, what, what you see, it's just look at your behaviors. What are the behaviors that I have right now that are creating my, my reality right now and learn to become aware of them and learn to change them and find out, well, I have, I'm benefiting some way from not changing. What is, what is it really? And, you know, and, and going back and look at that and then have the opposite, which is, would be the contrast, which would be, this is where I want to be. What is it going to take for me to be there? Wow. That would be my takeaway. <laughs> and you, how would you sum it up in a quote or in a, um, you know, in a few words, like when you talk to someone? I think I have two quotes that come to mind for everything that we basically talked about today. And the first one, it's, I think, one of your favorite quotes, too. Let food be thy med medicine and medicine be thy food. And it's very true. A lot of times we're killing ourselves simply with what we're putting in our mouths. And the second quote that comes to mind, it's a quote by Dalai Lama. And actually, I have it written down and I listen to it constantly. Happiness is the highest form of health. Mm, I so love choose, it. Yes. choose to be happy. You don't need to be right. <laughs> choose to be happy. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Well, I think people got will get a lot of value from this. It's really, um, you know, if they apply all of these, you know, these principles, that they will see some change. But bottom line is, you know, really exercise is important. The quality of food that you eat is also important. We can do a whole podcast just even on the the 
quality proteins a person should be consuming, but we'll save that for next time. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you so much for everybody for listening, for investing in yourselves, for making a change. Everything starts with a decision and then taking action. So make a decision of being better tomorrow than you are today and the next day and the next day and the next day. And then just do something, even if it's something little every single day that will start to get you on that path of getting better and feeling better and looking better. And it really becomes contagious. You know, you become kind of like, once you get momentum and you get momentum going, then it becomes much easier. But you, it, it all starts with a decision and taking action. And with that, we will end the podcast today. We have um, an amazing episode next week. We have a guest. I'm looking forward to learning a lot from our guests next week. And thank you for all. Thank you all for connecting today and have a wonderful rest of your week. Until next time. See ya. Bye.